Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? All right. Good deal. My name is Dwayne, one of the pastors here at the district. Welcome. And I uh, just want to kind of dive straight in. We're in uh, kind of halfway through an epiphany series. Um, if you kind of liturgical church calendar. Epiphany is the season that follows Advent. So Advent is kind of that time following Thanksgiving, leading up to Christmas, and it's just this period of waiting. It's this period of, of looking forward to the Messiah who's going to be born, and also to the, His second coming one day. And so we're kind of in that waiting period, and so we celebrate that in Advent, the, the awaiting of a Messiah to come. And then moving into Epiphany is now the revelation that the Messiah has come. So he is now manifesting himself, Christ making himself known to the world. And so the way that we kind of wanted to spin that um, in our Epiphany series for, for 2021 was how Christ makes himself known um, sort of through spiritual formation. And so what we mean by that are um, kind of spiritual disciplines. What are, what are the principles in scripture that God has invited us into to participate in to, in order to know Christ on a deeper level and to know God on a deeper level. And so Josh kind of uh, did our intro into that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week I jumped into the spiritual disciplines that we're going to look at. And so last week was specifically talking about God's word and like, why should we read God's word? Why should we dive into it? And, and what is kind of the benefit of it? Is it just a book of books? Um, that, that's really not living or active, uh, but we saw that that's not the case, that it is the only book that actually is living and active and can literally get down to discerning the intentions of your thoughts and your heart um, and, and knowing who you truly are created and designed by God. And so, so we really just jumped into what does it look like to read God's Word, to meditate on God's Word, to, to memorize God's Word, and why is that beneficial for us? What does that do for us? And, and what we ultimately saw last week was that it leads us into seeing who Christ designed us to be and who He is restoring us to be now that we are believers in Him and now that He is our true identity. And so to, to know yourself, or as kind of our culture says, find yourself, be yourself, know yourself, the only way to truly do that is to get into God's Word. And to have His Word on your mind, and to have His Word on your heart, and to have His Word actually be able to discern the true you as it comes out and becomes more like Christ. And so we, we kind of gave this challenge that, you know, it's not just um, spending 10, 10 minutes a day reading God's Word, but it's actually knowing Jesus by knowing His Word. Because one of the things that I talked about last week is, if God is invisible and Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God, well, the written word is the written representation of Jesus Christ himself. So a better way to say that is to know God is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know the word. And so to know the word means we need to spend time with it. We need to be in it. We need to be memorizing it, meditating on it. And that takes work. 
All right, that takes participation. That's, it's not going to happen by just being turned off or by sitting collecting dust on the shelf. And it wasn't a guilt trip into reading your Bible more like what most resolutions are, but rather a, we want you to be revived in your soul, as we looked at in Psalm last week. Because that's what the Word of God does for us. It revives our soul. And when we even dived into uh, what does that mean to be revived, it means to be restored, to be refreshed, and to be repaired in your soul. And so that's what the Word of God is doing. And so that's why we wanted to encourage you to get in the Word more and more and more on a daily basis so that we know that you will be refreshed, restored, repaired, and become more and more like who God has ultimately created you to be. So that was last week. God's Word is very important um, and, and really imperative for the believer. And so this week we're moving into what do we then do with God's Word as we're meditating on it and really, as we kind of saw God's Word is God's communication to us, what then does prayer have to do with spiritual discipline? What does prayer have to do with spiritual formation? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is the topic of prayer. And I would actually say through a lot of um, surveys that I looked at and just research that I looked at, prayer is the number one spiritual discipline that people feel the most guilt in. People feel the most shame, and it's actually not the Word of God, because if you have some verses memorized, then, then you can kind of draw on those, or you can read a chapter here and there and kind of feel good about it. But prayer is the number one spiritual discipline that people feel like they never do enough of, and, and they feel just shame, just guilt. And so I kind of wanted to talk about this one a little bit more, because again, our aim is not to drive from a motive, guilt and shame, to produce more prayer out of you. That, that's not the goal whatsoever. Again, that's not reviving the soul. That's not seeing us as living out this deep, abiding, affectionate relationship with Christ out of fear or out of shame or out of guilt. Like that's, that's not going to lead anybody into any type of, of beautiful design in relationship with God where we're being refreshed by Him. And so rather, I wanted to look at what are, again, the benefits of prayer and why is this something that God has invited us into to participate in for our good and ultimately for His glory. And so to kind of break it down just uh, simply here, prayer is the act of asking God to do what He has already promised to do. Prayer is simply just asking God to do what He's already promised to do. And we see this model throughout the patriarchs of the Old Testament, the psalmists, the prophets, Jesus, the apostles. I mean, we see this through even the deacons within Scripture. I mean, we see this through multiple characters throughout the body or throughout the Bible. Is just them praying literally what God has already promised that He's going to execute and do for them. Functionally, or maybe theologically, what prayer looks like is prayer is to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And so prayer is to the Father, always according to His will, through the Son, because He possesses all authority, so nothing happens apart from Jesus Christ Himself, and then it's ultimately by the Holy Spirit, according to His power. 
So uh, literally, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the, the, the Pony Express, if you will. He's the one, through His power, taking our prayers up to heaven, so much so that in Romans 8, it says we don't even know what to pray for. So as we're praying, the Holy Spirit is, is kind of taking our prayers, and either shot-blocking them or just doing them to the side, and then converting them into the actual prayers that we should have been praying and bringing them to God so that then when God answers, it's according to His will, by the authority of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. And then God says yes. And God moves and God acts. Now, does that mean every prayer that you pray He's going to answer? Yes. But His answer is not always going to be yes. I believe God answers every single prayer in three ways. One is yes. One is no. And one is later. I think every prayer can be summed up in one of those three. It's always yes, it's always no, or it's always later. It's never maybe. God's not waiting to see if He's going to change His mind based on any work that you do or any work that you don't do. It's not based on any of those things. It's either yes, because it's according to His will, and so He's going to act on it, and he's going, to go, he's going to bless you with it. Or it's no, because it's not according to His will, and He's just going to say no, because it's not good for you. Or it's later, and we probably feel that one way more than we feel any of the others. Because there's this period of, this is going to be good for you, but it's only good for you in His timing, not our timing. And so I'm not necessarily going to break into kind of dealing with the yes, no, and the maybes. But what I do want to do is kind of dive into um, just some foundation for prayer. And then kind of a model prayer from Jesus Himself to kind of close out the passage today. And so, just kind of my personal experience with prayer... Um, I, I was, again, not raised in the church, and so prayer was this, when, when I became a believer at the age of 14, and kind of through my high school years, I mean, I was a sponge. I was like, okay, I need, to, I need to learn how to read God's Word, I need to learn how to pray, I need to learn how to do the Christian thing. I mean, I was, you know, in service raising my hand, where I didn't even know why people were raising their hands. I actually thought people had a question during music, and it was just, and, and I just thought like the worship pastor was just a jerk and never answered them. Um, but I, I didn't know why people did that. So I needed to learn all of these things as I was coming into this. And so I remember thinking, like, I need to learn what prayer is because it's so important and such a valuable discipline of the Christian. And so what does that look like? And I remember coming and asking one of my mentors, hey, like, what is, what is prayer? And he was like, okay, look, I, I, I've, I've taught you a lot of things. And, and when I say my mentor, I'm specifically referring to my youth pastor. His name was Ashley Mofield. And he just taught me all kinds of things. But when it came to prayer, he kind of like um, contracted that out for me. He was like, yeah, I'm not going to teach you this. I'm going to have you go meet with someone else. I want you to meet with Steve Askew. And, and I want you to just sit under him as he prays. And I was like, okay, that's again, that's weird. I don't even know what you mean by that. He's like, I want you to just observe him as he prays. And so Steve Askew is this just giant in the faith when it came to just a godly man, a faithful man uh, in our church, just a very, very generous saint in our church. I mean, he, he blessed Kelsey and I with our honeymoon, just gave it to us. I mean, just, a, just an amazing guy. And, and, but he would come up to the church three times a week and would pray for three hours each time he came up there. 
And I remember just walking the halls of the church, both as a young Christian and then later when I came on staff at the church. I mean, he was just faithful in doing this constantly. And I would walk through, I'd be like, okay, I know that this is a successful businessman. He's a successful family man. Like, he is a godly man. Like, how does he find the time, nine hours a week, to come up here and just pray? And it was actually one of the times that I heard the first quote from... Um, Martin Luther, where he says, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours in prayer. And I just remember like that, that grabbed hold of him to where he was like, I'm just going to implement that. I'm just going to do that. And so I remember coming to Steve Eskew, and I remember asking him, hey, how do, I, how do I pray? How do you pray? What is prayer? What is this? And he said to me, he was like, it's very similar to having a conversation with your earthly father. To which I had to kind of stop him there for a moment. I was like, you've met my earthly father, right? I was like, like the, the Gibbs men are, are what we just referred to as men of few words, all right? So I'm kind of the black sheep in the family when it comes to that. But, but we, I come from a lineage where my grandfather was a, a tank mechanic in the Vietnam War. When he got out of the war, became a bulldozer mechanic for John Deere for, for decades. And then my dad is a tool and die machinist, and so he's He's just been working in that for a couple of decades as well. My brother is, uh, my older brother is an auto uh, mechanic and chief mechanic at a garage back in my hometown. These men have spent more time communicating with machines or cars than they ever have another human being. And so when we get together in family, I think we even joked about this. I, I, if you were to, I've been married to Kelsey now for almost 10 years. If you were to combine all of the conversations that she's had with my brother, it would probably be five minutes total. Like, they're just men of few words. And so this idea of just having a communication with your earthly father, I was like, I'm going to need more than that. Because for us, it was kind of more like, good morning is the punch in the arm kind of thing. And, and like, that was kind of the communication of me growing up and experiencing was, was more physical, maybe sport-related, maybe more kind of in those realms, rather than just sitting down and having, like, an endearing conversation. Those, those are rare in our family. So I needed more than, than just this idea of earthly conversation. And so I said, how do you pray then? What does that look like? He said, I pray, I pray three things. And I pray these three things all the time, and I've never run out of anything to pray for. And he asked me the question, do you know what those three things are that I use for prayer? And I said, food, shelter, and relationships. And he said, well, did you get that out of like a survival guide? <laughs> I like slowly put the survival guide in my back pocket. I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just what I'm shooting for. And he said, those are things that you can pray for. He said, but God knows we need those things already. Why are you praying for those things? He said, like, and he took me to the passage in Matthew 6 where it's like, don't be anxious. He's like, look at the birds, look at the lilies. If God so clothes them, how much more is he going to lavish on his children, what they need and providing for them? He's like, God knows what you need. It doesn't mean that you can't pray for those things, but he knows what you need. I said, so what are the three things? And so then he said, turn to Colossians 1, 9 through 12, and read it aloud. And so I did, and it says this. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. 
And then he said to turn to Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29, and read it aloud. And so I did. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And then he said to me, turn to Mark 14, 32 through 36 and read it aloud. At this point, I'm thinking, I think he's... I think you got me confused with how do you read your Bible um, at this point. But anyways, I just continued on with the Miyagi kind of way in which he was wanting to teach me. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When I finished reading, um, I just kind of gave Steve this blank stare. I was like, I'm I'm just really going to need you to spell it out for me here. Like, I just read three passages, don't know what I'm, what I'm at. And this is what he said. He was like, okay, simple-minded. <laughs> he said, you need to pray the prayers of the saints. Pray the prayers of the saints. And then you need to pray the promises of God. And then you just simply need to pray like Jesus. He says, I've been doing those three things for over 50 years, and I've never run out of anything to pray. He says, as I search through the scriptures, any time that I see an apostle or a prophet or a deacon or a servant or a believer, doesn't matter who they are, any time that I see them recording a prayer, he says, I write it down and I begin praying that same thing. He says, anytime I'm reading through scripture and I come to a promise of God where God is saying, I will do this for you. He says, I write that down, and I begin praying that exact thing that God promised. He says, it reminds me like when my wife always comes to me and says, hey, let me remind you of the vows that you gave me on our wedding day. I want you to do those. And he says, so I'm just reminding Jesus of the vows that he gave to his bride, the church, and I'm reminding him to do what he said he's going to do, his promises. And then he said, lastly, we need a model. And if Jesus is the perfect person who has ever lived, then why not model how Jesus prays? And so every time I look in Scripture, whether it's Matthew um, 6, whether it's Mark 14, whether it's John 17, and he sees prayers of Jesus, he says, I write those down, and I just pray like Jesus. I try to structure my prayers like Jesus. I then just pray what Jesus is praying. And sometimes I just sit and read it and let Jesus pray over me. Again, he's never run out of anything to pray. Because that was actually going to be my next question. How do you pray? What then do you pray? And he answered it all in the same thing. 
And he said, now, yes, there's going to be times where you contextualize that to your current situation. There's going to be things that you're walking through. And so this is when he actually led me. I actually tried to get Steve to come up here and, and just preach this sermon, but I knew he wouldn't be able to in light of the pandemic. But, but this is kind of where he led me. This one verse, he said, if you always pray like this, you will never pray in ignorance. He said, much fewer will be those shot block prayers from the Holy Spirit changing whatever it is you're praying because you're going to be nailing it every time when it comes to how and what you should pray. And so he brought me back to Mark 14, 36, and that's where I kind of want to break it down for you today. Mark 14, 36 says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, I wanted to choose this prayer of Jesus specifically, not because Steve said so, but also because there are other prayers of Jesus that are modeled that we could have looked at. We could have looked at the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. People use that prayer to kind of break it down in ways in which you pray. And, and actually, did, did we do a series on I can't remember if we did a series on that one or not, breaking it down in that way. We should, maybe, if we haven't. Um, but there's also John 17 and the way that Jesus prays, where he prays for the disciples that, that God has given him. He's praying for the disciples that those disciples are going to go out. And then he's eventually praying for us when it comes to those at the ends of the earth who will one day receive the gospel. And so there's a way in which we could have used his prayer and his model there for the way of the expansion of the gospel and the good news and whatnot. But, but this prayer, I feel like, maybe will resonate a little bit more with us, specifically because of the context in which this prayer was prayed, the subject matter in which this prayer was prayed, and just for us, the anguish that maybe a lot of us are feeling from 2020, from the wonderful start of 2021 as well, and just where we're sitting at right now in a season. Because the context of this passage, this prayer... Jesus is about to be handed over to experience the worst thing that he's ever experienced in his 33 years of life. About to walk into torture, torment, public ridicule, public humility, like anything and everything you could possibly think of that would be a bad day. Jesus is about to step into that. And the anxiety that he's feeling. I mean, I know I had a couple of conversations with a few people in our church this past week who were dealing with deep-rooted anxiety, deep-rooted stress, even suicidal thoughts, just really struggling in life right now. And so how or what do we pray when we're desperate? When we're desperate. And so we pray like Jesus. And so I want to break down this passage for us. And I want to kind of throw out a couple of questions to ponder as we look through this. Should we pray for healing and deliverance, believing that if we just ask, God can do anything? Or should we just kind of relinquish our desires to God, trusting that even in our anguish, He has a perfect plan for us? Like, is it okay to pray away our suffering? Or should we relinquish our will and receive our suffering as if that's the holier thing to do? And to both of those questions, I would say, yes. When life falls apart, God invites us to do both. 
And that's what he's doing here with Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus facing just this unimaginable suffering. So much so that he's sweating drops of blood. I mean, there's not been anything in our life that has created so much anxiety that we're literally sweating drops of blood. And so how does he start out his prayer? Abba, Father. Notice how Jesus does it begin with Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. No, even though Jesus or God is those things, the Father is the creator of everything that we know. But he instead uses a term of endearment, a term of intimacy. Abba, Father. I'm actually reminded of this term every time our neighbors are outside playing with their kids because our neighbors um, are Jewish and they speak Hebrew to one another. And so I, I always hear their kids outside yelling, Abba, Abba. And it just reminds me of this kind of situation with Jesus when he's crying out, Abba, Abba, a term of endearment. And in a similar way, like I need to draw near to God in my pain. He's the Almighty Lord, but He's also my Abba Father. He's also your Abba Father. We see this in Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba Father. So God is not just some distant creator. God is not some distant judge on a throne. He is your Father because we, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, we have been not only pardoned from our sin in that courtroom, but God signed the papers and adopted us and brought us home and is calling on us to call Him Abba, Father, a term of endearment. And so we need to approach God as Father, to approach Him as Father. Actually, I've forgotten the origin of this quote. I think it's Keller, um, Tim Keller, but I could be misquoting here. But the only person who dare wake a king at 3 a.m. is the son of a king. And that's the type of access that we have to God, is with knowing the fear and reverency of who he is, but yet we have full access to approach him because, again, he is our Abba. He is our Father. And then the next thing Jesus flows into is nothing too difficult. Jesus knows, better than anybody, Jesus knows God can do anything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. All things are His servants. Nothing is impossible with Him. Those types of verses can go through our minds when we think of God's ability. But often, I functionally doubt God's ability to change my situation. It's just true. I oftentimes functionally doubt God's ability to change my, my situation. I scan my circumstances and just assume things will continue as they are. But yet what Jesus is showing us here is that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. No situation, no circumstance that you walk through can't be changed by God. Because not only did he allow the circumstance to happen or even in some ways condone or even cause the circumstance to happen, but he can change anything at any moment if he wills. And so for us, we need to acknowledge that rather than just these kind of monotonous, half-hearted repetition of requests. 
We need to have a more earnest petition of faith. Lord, I know you are able. So I'm going to pray with confidence that you are able to change this circumstance. But in Gethsemane, Jesus knows his Father can grant his request. God gives life to the dead and summons into being things that don't exist. He knows what he's capable of, and so he prays. Lord, will you remove this cup? Now, the cup Jesus asked God to remove isn't just mere physical suffering. For disciples and martyrs through the ages have faced physical pain without fear. I mean, they've just walked into it. Like they just have this kind of unwavering assurance that God can meet me, and even if He destroys me, kind of like that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to faithfully serve Him no matter what, even if I burn up. Jesus isn't just asking for just mere physical pain or torment to, to be removed from Him in what He's about to experience. It goes much deeper than that. Jesus is anguished over suffering that's infinitely deeper. He's facing the terrifying fury of God's wrath over our sin. The terrifying fury of God's wrath over our sin. And here's the thing. He's facing that wrath alone. Alone. Up until this point, Jesus, in His eternality, has never experienced any type of separation from His Father. And yet, that's what He's about to step into. So much so that when He's on the cross, Matthew 27, 46, He's crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? This is the cup he knows he's about to experience. In the, in, in the original text of this Hebrew word forsaken means to abandon. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, some theologians to try to lighten the cross say Jesus knows how it ends. He knows what's about to happen in three days. He can experience a little three-day vacation away from God. And that's just ridiculous. Jesus Christ bearing the weight of God's wrath flooding towards him without any communion and relationship with his Father. That is hell that's the weight of hell and that's what he's bearing and so we have to remember that jesus christ and this is a theological term hypostatic union means that yes jesus christ is fully 100 percent god but he is also fully 100 percent human which means he experiences in his mind in his heart in his soul everything that we experience on this earth and i would say that he experiences it deeper and with more clarity because of his soberness in his perfection so that when he experiences the abandonment of God, it's way deeper than anything David has ever prayed where he prays, God, where are you? 
And so here Jesus, on the cross, knowing what he's experiencing, and before he gets there, is praying, Lord, in his humanity, if there is any other possible way, remove this cup from me. And you know what that does for me when it comes to prayer? Is that frees me to ask God that any situation or circumstance that I walk through or face in my life, it gives me confidence that I can approach the Father and ask Him to remove it. Even if I believe the suffering is going to be good for me, I'm still going to pray that He will remove it. Because Jesus prayed that He would remove it. But here's the hard thing is, just as I said earlier, sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no. And this is one of those situations where in desperation, God answers no. He says no to Jesus. And what that produces is the greatest good that this world will ever see. And so for us, it kind of begins to categorize a little bit. That when God answers us no in a deep and desperate moment, which might feel for us the greatest anguish and stress that we've ever faced, when He says no, what we can guarantee is that God on His end and according to His will is producing something for us that is going to be better than if He said yes to us. And that's hard. That's hard. Because there have been times in our life when we've prayed for our when we've prayed for dying unborn children. There's been times when I've prayed for friends who are dying of cancer. I've been praying for family members who don't know Jesus. And his answer was no. But yet he still bids me to earnestly petition him for the things I desire. And I might not know this side of heaven, the good that comes out of that. I might not see it, I might not know it, I might not experience it. But what I do know is that behind those no's are 10,000 reasons why God is giving me that answer. And that He's working for my good, as He says in Romans 8, 28. And so then Jesus accepts it and He moves to the last bit. Not my will, but yours. Jesus finally relinquishes His will to God's when denied his desire, Jesus accepts the decision completely and then he stumbles to his execution without murmur or complaint. Man, he just believes God is good and that he's working and that he's praising his Father for the no. It, for me, brings to light the passage of Scripture that tell me to rejoice always. Which basically means there should never be a time that you're not rejoicing. 
And in those moments, I'm thinking, well, it's easy to rejoice when in certain pregnancies that we've had that we thought were going to go wrong, that God answered our prayers with a yes and healed. And we have a beautiful son, Wyatt, who we at times didn't think we would end up with. But he answered and he healed. And it was easy in those moments to rejoice and to spread the good news and to share with others the beauty of what God has done. But he's also commanded me to rejoice always in the situations when it's not. And that's difficult. And I'm not trying to like promote it in any way other than there are times when my worship looks like tears. And there are times when we come into this place when I can't sing, but I rejoice because I can hear the singing of the saints. There's times when I can't preach and I can sit and hear the preaching of Josh come up and just share from God's Word and proclaim it over me. And so I'm able to rejoice because of the community of God coming around us and helping us to do that. Knowing that, again, He is And I hold on to that verse. He is working out all things for the good of those who love Him. But if I draw near to God and truly believe He can change the situation, I can start, unfortunately, sometimes to kind of clutch that situation white-knuckled. Sometimes I half-heartedly will pray, Your will be done, not mine. And so my hope is, is that in this, our perspective begins to shift and change. That the best thing for us to do is just relinquish our will. And to submit to His will. Oftentimes, with disappointment and tears, He assures me that He's working. Because the Scriptures say, I see only in part. And that God also has a purpose in His denials. Again, the father saying no to the son brings about the greatest good in all of human history. And so as we pray, as we wait, still struggling to make sense of the storms in our lives, let us pray as our Savior did. Let's just pray as Jesus did. Lord, you are able to remove this situation, this circumstance, You're able to remove this anguish. You're able to remove this anxiety. You're able to remove this stress. Whatever it looks like, you're able to do this. And let us draw near to God and boldly ask Him for what we need and submit our will to His. Lord, if you're willing, do this. And if not, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Because our Father's plans are always perfect. You may not think they're perfect, but they're perfect. They will always be for our good and His glory. So let's run to Him as Abba, Father. And as we run to Him through prayer, let us pray the prayers of the saints before us. Let us pray the promises of God over us. And let us pray like Jesus, with intimacy, with honesty, and with humility. What I want to do right now is I want to take a moment and pray just to yourselves. We're just going to have a time 
of silence. And silence is good. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need pads. We don't need piano. We don't need anything. We just need silence. And we're just going to spend time with Jesus. We're going to pray to the Father through Christ by the power of the Spirit. And if you still need some help in structuring your prayer, may it go something like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is good, gracious, and beautiful. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Indianapolis as it is in heaven. God, you have a plan. I want your plan to be established here and to go forth here in Indy. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you know we have needs. Provide those needs for us. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. I know we already did that once in the confession earlier. But man, let's pray those sins that we keep forgetting about. Let's pray those sins and confess those sins and just ask for God's just cleansing over our spirit as He says that He's going to do in Ezekiel. We're, we're just praying that promise that you're giving me a new heart that is going to cleanse me. Lord, just cleanse my soul right now. Whatever it is that I'm just feeling anguish and shame and guilt and maybe it's even just praying, God, I'm confessing right now that, yeah, I've not prayed enough and so just cleanse me and forgive me of that. Give me a new spirit right now to be able to run to you as Abba. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Lord, keep me from just doing anything stupid. <laughs> and just let me run to you in worship. So maybe that'll help you pray in this moment right now. We're going to take about a good five, five minutes or so. And then I'll come back at 11.15 and, and lead us into a time of communion together. So let's just get after the Lord. Let's just pray. And if you're, if you're with a spouse and y'all want to pray together out loud, that's fine too. You know what? If you want to pray out loud, pray out loud. Like I, I, I love hearing the jumbledness of prayer as well. So if you want to do that too, that's, that's perfectly fine. So let's pray. Father, you are good, you are holy, you are worthy of every aspect of our worship. Father, we pray that, that you would come down to this earth and just continue to advance your kingdom, that you would continue to advance your will in the hearts and minds of our people so that we would continue to advance your good news to those around us, so that they would be able to see and savor your son Jesus above anything and everything that this world has to offer, so much so that we would count it all rubbish, that we might gain Christ above all. And Father, we pray that you continue to provide for us, that you continue to fill up our lives with your goodness and with your provision. Lord, there are going to be seasons where we are in need and we just know trusting that you are doing something in those seasons to conform us to be more like your son, Jesus. 
And there are going to be seasons where we are in abundance through your provision. And we know that in those seasons, God, you are calling on us to be generous and to seek out the needs of those around us. Father, we pray that you would continue to forgive our sins. God, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the ones we know about, the ones we don't know about, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you would give us this new heart that is within us and you would remove the heart of stone and that you would just give us this breathing, this living heart of flesh that allows us to be able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, to be able to worship him and to see that yes to him is greater than any temporary pleasure that we think is going to be good for us. Father, we ask that you lead us not into any sort of temptation. We ask, God, that you would allow us to grow so wise through your word that we're able to discern the decisions that we make on a daily basis to be able to not only think wisely, but act wisely. And to be able to make choices that do not harm, but lead to flourishing in our souls. Deliver us from any evil that our hearts still cling to in our flesh. For it's in your Son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at